in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, one God, Amen. We will continue tonight our Bible study from Psalm 119. As I explained before, Psalm 119 is the longest psalm and the longest chapter in the scripture. It is composed of 22 sections, and every section is eight verses. And the 22 sections are actually arranged according to the Hebrew alphabet. For example, if the first letter in Hebrew alphabet A, then the first section, every verse in it, start with the letter A. Second section, B, then every verse in the second section start with the letter B and so on. And also, almost, when I say almost, almost, every single verse has a reference to the Word of God. For example, in verse 145, I will keep your statutes. 146, your testimony. 147, in your word. 148, on your word. 149, according to your judgments here in, in English justice بالعربي, your judgments which refer to the word of God and 150 your law 151 your commandments and so on every single verse have reference to the word of God tonight we will study section 19 and section 20 the 19th Hebrew letter is and the 20th Hebrew letter is Rish. Since Qaf is the 19th letter of the Hebrew alphabet, so it is used at the beginning of each verse from verse 145 to 152. So the first word in each verse begins with the letter Qaf. This section, the 19th section, is an excellent example of prayer that we can apply in our Christian life. The role of the psalmist is, his life is a life of unceasing prayer. He's praying all the time. And he will be faithful to this unceasing prayer even in the midst of the unfaithfulness or the ungodliness of others. In this passage, the psalmist is in prayer, as we see here in verse 47, before the dawning of the morning, 48, through the night watches, and so on. So actually he is praying all the time. He is in a state of prayer. And we are given a glimpse into how he prayed, why he prayed, when he prayed, how long he prayed, and what his prayer were about. How he prayed wholeheartedly. Why? Actually, as we'll see together, in order to keep the commandment of God. And when he prayed, all the time. How long he prayed? Again, all the time, night and morning, without ceasing. And what his prayer are about is about to keep the commandment of God. That's why 
we will learn in this section about the important interconnection between the prayer and the word of God. The simple way to understand it in prayer, we speak to God. In the Bible, God speaks to us. So this part of the psalm also teaches us that we have personal access to the only one who knows everything and who, who he sees everything and who has power and ability to solve every problem and every situation we face. So see how privileged we are. We have personal access, no secretary in between, nothing. There is no barriers to God who knows everything, sees everything, can solve everything, and has the power and ability. He's in control. Section 20 of this psalm, from verse 153 to 160. And as I told you, every section is eight verses. So eight by 20, 160. Section 20 ends by verse 160. In which each verse begins with the 20th Hebrew letter, Rush. So every verse in this section, from verse 153 to 160, start with this letter, Rush. In this section, the psalmist seems to draw still nearer to God. So he's getting closer and closer to God in prayer. And to state his case to God, how he is hated by his enemies, and to beseech the divine help with more boldness and expectation to deliver him from his enemies. In this section, there are eight requests or pleas or petition of divine assistance. And one of these requests is repeated three times, which is the word revive. Give me life. Revive. Was repeated three times. This part of Psalm section 20 reveals the fight to remain faithful in an ungodly world. How to remain faithful to God even if the wicked are surrounding us. So the theme of section 19 a cry and prayer to God. The theme of section 20, revival according to the word of God. As I told you, the word revive was repeated three times. So let's start from verse 145. And as I told before, this psalm we prayed in the first watch of the midnight hour. Verse 145. I cry out with my whole heart. Hear me, O Lord, I will keep your statutes. Prayer is often in the book of Psalms expressed by crying. Crying doesn't mean screaming, but it is mental. It is from the heart. And sometimes it's vocal. But generally, supposedly person praying to be in distress. For example, if a person is drowning or in a fire and he is asking for help, he will cry. The word crying refers that the person is in distress, either outwardly or inwardly. And the psalmist prayer here was hearty from his whole heart. It was not with his mouth and lips only, but with his heart also. His whole soul pleaded with God. His entire affection, because the heart is the place of affection, 
His united desires all went out toward the living God. I cry out. The psalmist pleaded with God, crying out before him, and he did it earnestly and fervently. In his pleading, he wanted to keep the word of God. That is the reason why he's praying, why he is crying out with his whole heart. He said, hear me, O Lord, I will keep your standards. When you hear me, then this will motivate me to keep your statutes. This was not just a cry for help or deliverance or forgiveness, but it is a cry for obedience. I'm crying out so that I may obey your commandments. He's not praying for wealth or health or happiness, but you can see the genuineness and earnestness of his prayer is affirmed in his pledge I will keep your statutes. The psalmist prayer drove him to the word of God. And as I told you, there is interconnection between prayer and the word of God. A passion for prayer and a passion for the word of God should always go together, hand in hand. David has been truly a man of prayer who knew how to raise his prayer for heaven to respond. And St. Augustine says, for to what end his cry prophets? To what end he's praying? What is the goal? David added, I will keep your statutes. For this purpose, this is a goal. For this purpose, then he has called with his whole heart and has longed that this might be given him that his prayer will be heard by the Lord listening unto him, that he may search out his righteousness, the righteousness of God that are declared in the commandments. Verse 146, I cry out to you, save me and I will keep your testimonies. Again, verse 146 restates and reinforces what he said in verse 145. In his distress, he cried and prayed to God. And this was a principal and leading petition that God would save him out of all his troubles and afflictions, out of the hands of all his enemies, to save him with a temporal, spiritual, and eternal salvation, which he knew that God is able to do it. Save me, I cry out to you, save me, and I will keep your testimonies. It is out of the psalmist's desire and dedication that he comes to God. His desire is to obey the word of God, I will keep your testimony, because of the relationship and devotion. He is keeping the word of God, not as a duty, but because of the relationship with God, son-father relationship. So his prayer was short but complete. I cry out to you, save me and I will keep your commands. Short but complete. I will keep your testimonies. This was his great object. That is the goal in desiring salvation. Save me. Why? To keep your testimony that he might be able to continue 
in a blameless life of obedience to God when he keeps the testimonies of God. Verse 147. I rise before the dawning of the morning and cry for help. I hope in your word. So the psalmist passionately depended on God and on the word of God. But that did not eliminate his participation in any way, even to wake up in the middle of the night and in the dawn before the morning. The psalmist shares how he commits to God and to the word of God. He doesn't leave his promises empty when he promised, I will keep your statutes. So he kept these promises and he packs them with disciplined commitment. He's committed to pray day and night. He still woke up early to seek God in prayer and to cry for help that was helped by the word of God. Why? Because I hope in your word. Because of the promises that is revealed in your word. So I trust in your word. I hope in your word. And because of this hope, I am crying for help. Even I wake up early, I rise before the dawning of the morning and cry for help. So the psalmist was early as well as earnest in his supplications to God. He began his day with God. And the first thing he did in the morning was to pray. As Christ rose early in the morning, a great while before day, and went out to a solitary place and prayed. And hope in the word of God according to the promises that are revealed in the word of God encouraged David and encouraged all of us to continue persistent in prayer. The psalmist knew that he who is diligent in prayer will never be destitute of hope. When we are diligent in prayer, then we will be assured of our confidence and our hope in God. Not only early in the morning, but as he said in verse 148, my eyes are awake through the night watches all night that I may meditate on your word. The night watches. The Jews divided the night into three watches, which began at 6 p.m., which is the 12th hour of the day, 6 p.m., until 6 in the morning. So these are the 12 hours of night, and it is divided into three watches. Each watch is actually four hours. So four by three, 12. And that's why in the midnight prayer, we have three watches, first watch, second watch, third watch, according to the Jewish tradition. But the Romans, when they occupied Jerusalem and the Roman Empire became in charge, then introduced among them the custom of dividing the night watches into four watches. That's why in some parables in the scripture, we read about people who are waiting for the full watch. And each watch is three hours instead of four hours. So three hours, so from 6 p.m. to 6 a.m. there are four watches. But David said what? 
David anticipated these regular divisions of the night in order that he might engage in prayer. My eyes awake through the night watches, not only one time, but throughout the night watches, to engage in prayer. Instead of waiting for their return, he arose for prayer before they recurred. So much did his heart delight in the service of God. He began the day with prayer. He continued in prayer through the watches of the day, as he said seven times every day, I praise your holy name, and also through the watches of night. You can see here the incessant prayer, praying without ceasing. He not only woke up early to seek God, but also he stayed awake through the night to think and to meditate about God and his word. The word meditation here, that I may meditate on your word, meditation was the food of his hope. When he meditated on the promises of God, this affirmed his hope and confidence in God. His thoughts were on the word of God, which he continually mentions and in which his heart rejoices. Verse 149, Hear my voice, according to your loving kindness. O Lord, revive me according to your justice, or according to your judgment. The psalmist asked God to hear him according to what? According to the goodness of God, to the mercies of God, to the loving kindness of God. He is not pleading based on his worthiness or on his merits. Hear me because I am righteous. No but according to your loving kindness. When God hears a prayer according to his loving kindness, God will overlook all the imperfection of the person who prays. He forgets the sinfulness of the person who offers it. And in merciful love, he grants the desire, though the supplicant is unworthy. Regardless of my sinfulness, regardless of my imperfection, I am praying to you. I know I am not worthy, but I am relying on your loving kindness. That's why he asked God to revive him according to the justice of God or according to the judgment of God. Revive me. You know that my enemies persecuted me without a reason. So revive me according to your justice, to your judgment. And the mercies of God and the justice of God are reasons to pray and have confidence in pleading them. Because God is merciful and righteous. The psalmist encourages himself to hope that he shall obtain his request. Why? Because he is depending on God's loving kindness and on God's judgment or God's justice. Because his justice is full of mercy, and his mercy is full of justice. Knowing that God is good and gracious, he is sure that he will be good to him who hope in his mercy. The psalmist cried, save me, and then he said, hear me, and now revive me. In verse 146, he said, save me. In one. 49, he said, hear my voice. And then in the same verse, 
revive me. So he started by save me, hear me, revive me. According to scholar origin, he says, I do not seek from you, from God, to revive me according to my behavior, because I'm not worthy, namely according to my self-righteousness, no. But I am asking you to answer my prayer according to your justice, to your judgment. In other words, revive me by whichever way you intend for me to live, according to your judgment. St. Augustine says, For first, God, according to his loving mercy, takes away punishment from sinners. According to his mercy, he takes away our punishment. And then he will give them life after war. When God removes our sins, we become righteous. And since we became righteousness, because we put on his righteousness, not our righteousness, then God will give us life according to his judgment. For it is not without a meaning that it is said unto him, I will sing of mercy and justice to you, O Lord. Why he said mercy and justice? In this order of term, he said mercy first and then justice. Although the season of mercy itself be not without judgment, as I said, mercy and judgment are full of each other, and the final season judgment will not be without mercy, but judgment shall be without mercy, but unto those who on the left side of God who will not or who have not dealt mercy. So Augustine saying, when the psalmist said, I will sing of your mercy and justice, because mercy number one comes to forgive our sins, then we become righteous. Then in righteousness, actually, we are revived, we, we grant life. Although St. Augustine is very clear, in the season of mercy, which comes first, this mercy is not without judgment. And in the season of judgment, this judgment is not without mercy. Judgment is without mercy only for those who have not dealt mercy, those on the left side of Christ. Verse 150, they draw near who follow after wickedness. They draw near to me. They are far from your law. They approach David although they are far from the word of God. So the prayer in verse 149, when he said, revive me, anticipates the distressing situation of verse 150. Because in 150, these wicked people, they are approaching David. Evil persecution are closing in, and their intentions are evil and unjust. So the psalmist could sense that the wicked who opposed him were coming closer and becoming more of a threat to him. He appeals to God again on the basis of the righteousness of God and the justice of God because his enemies are too numerous and powerful for him but they are not too many and not too strong for God. Although they are coming closer to God, but they are very far from the word of God. They draw near who follow after wickedness, but they are far from your law. 
Those who keep God's law and commandments neither do harm to, to themselves or to others, but those who are far from the law of God hurt others and hurt themselves. So while David is hearing the footsteps of those who chased him to do harm to him, the psalmist puts himself in the hand of God and entreated God to interfere for they hated him on account of his relationship with God. They went far from the law of God as though their hate for David is hate for God himself. They hated David because they hate God and the word of God. As the Lord Jesus Christ told us in John chapter 15, from verse 18 to 25, they will hate you because you are not of this world. And as he hated me, they will hate you. Hating God and his word means also hating the children of God. Verse 151, beautiful. These people, the wicked people, are drawing near to me. But you are near, O Lord. So I'm not afraid. They are drawing near, but you are near, O Lord. And all your commandments are truth. You are near, O Lord, though the wicked were both near to the psalmist and far from the word of God, the psalmist knew that also God is near to him. God is present with him. God is ready to hear the cry of David. He was at hand to save David. As St. Paul said, if God is for us, who can be against us? It should greatly comfort all the godly people to remember that their enemies are the enemies of God too. And because God came near to the psalmist, he could see clearly that all God's commandments are the truth. All his promises are true. God promised us to be with us during the time of affliction. And David now, he feels the presence of God close to him. He understood that God's word were truly inspired and infallible. His experiencing the truth of God has assured him of that during the time of affliction, God said, I will not leave you or forsake you. If all God's commandments are truth, then the godly man will be glad to keep near to the commandment of God. And therein he will find the true God near to him too. Not a doubt came to the psalmist's mind that God is close to him or near to him. He never doubted this. Why? Because David had an old relationship with the word of God and was God himself. That's why he never doubted that God is with him. The study of God's commandment has long ago convinced David that they are no passing or temporary. The word of God, not temporary, but they are eternal, eternal law, decreed and laid down forever. That's why in verse 152 he said, Concerning your testimonies, I have known of old, I know from a very long time, when I was young, that you have founded them forever. Your word actually fits for all 
centuries, forever, eternal, because these are your word. I know this from old, from my old relationship with God. So the psalmist has long ago learned the eternal validity of God's testimony and his deeply rooted convictions cannot be shaken by the contempt or the threats of his enemies. Even in the midst of the threats of my enemy who are approaching me, I'm not shaken. I know that your testimony are true and eternal. The more he studied and meditated upon the word of God, the more he understood their divine origin. Every promise is a testimony of God's own purpose in regard to mankind. Every promise in the scripture. The promises are founded forever. As the Lord said, heaven and earth will pass away, but my words by no means pass away. Scholar Origin says, if God has founded these testimonies eternally, they anticipate what would be built on them. These are the foundation. On that foundation, God builds his precepts, statutes, commandments, judgment, wisdom, and knowledge. That would make the building absolute, the building of God, and perfect in every aspect. Who is the building of God? As St. Paul said, you are the building of God. To become worthy for God to dwell in us. Start section 20 from verse 153. I told you in this section, he has eight requests from God. Three of them revive me. And it is a prayer that God may deliver him from afflictions and tribulations. That's why he started by saying, Consider my affliction and deliver me, for I do not forget your law. Once again, the psalmist is focusing on his need for deliverance from affliction and to be saved from those who oppress him. He appeals to God's compassion and begs God to look down upon him and to consider the afflictions that he has been enduring. He's asking God to not just notice, just consider and look and observe, no. But he's asking God to do something about his affliction. Deliver me. God will not simply visually observe, but God will act. To plead for God when we say, consider my affliction, means he's asking God to act, to deliver me. The Lord seems as if he did not consider the affliction of David. Usually, we feel this when God doesn't grant his gracious presence to us. When we feel that God is disappearing, although he is not, we say, where are you, God? Or when God does not arise to our help and deliverance so soon as we desire and expect. But the fact is, the reality is, that God always sees and beholds our afflictions. And he cannot do otherwise or his children, since he is the omniscient God. He looks upon his people with an eye of mercy and compassion, which is what is here prayed for. Consider my affliction. Look at me with eye of compassion and mercy. In the lives of some, unfortunately, affliction drives them away from God and his word. 
I'm not going to pray to God again. I'm not going to go to church again. But for the psalmist, such a troubled time drove him closer to God and to the word of God. His enemies have most certainly forgot God's word. They are far from your law. And as a result, they are very far away from the law of God. They forgot his word and they are far from the law of God. But the psalmist is not one of them. The psalmist, he belongs to God. And as a son of God, a child of God, he is desperate for rescue. That's why he said, for I do not forget your law like my enemies. They forgot your law, but I do not forget your law. Verse 154, plead my cause and redeem me, revive me according to your word. Plead my cause. Plead my cause as if God is an attorney and he's asking him to take my case and defend me and redeem me. Revive me according to your word. Plead my cause. This shows that his affliction was chiefly from men, wicked and ungodly. But his cause, his case, was a good one. He is innocent. He did not do anything to King Saul, to Absalom, his son, to Achitophel. And therefore, he puts it into the hand of, of God, who otherwise would not have undertaken it. God told us, ask and you shall receive. Knock and it will be opened to you. So we need actually to take our case and put it in the hand of God and ask him to intervene. And David here presenting the dispute between him and his enemies as a lawsuit, as if he is in the court, and asking God to be his attorney, his advocate, and to defend him as a lawyer might do. The psalmist looks for help and salvation outside of himself. He's looking for God to help him. He did not defend himself or fight by himself. And this reinforces the idea that when he previously said, I am righteous, he didn't mean I am absolutely righteous because God is the only absolute righteous. But he's righteous in comparison to his enemies. His enemies want to harm him, but he did not want to harm them. He did not do anything, as I said, to King Saul or to Absalom, his son, or to Achitophel. He knew that he needed God to plead his cause. He knew he needed God to redeem him. He needs God to act. The psalmist wanted to be made alive, revive me, and to have that life brought to him according to the word of God. Revive me according to your word. Life is repeatedly promised in the scripture as a reward to the obedience to the law of God. When we obey the law of God, we'll be alive. As the Lord said, we have the way of life and the way of death. If you obey the word of God, then you chose the way of life. God actually and his word are the source of our revival. There is no life outside from God and His Word. The Word I spoke to you is life and spirit. If we read the Word of God, 
and do what the Word of God tells us to do in prayer, in repentance, in dedication, in pursuing God with the whole heart, then it will be a source of revival. Verse 155. David is asking for his salvation. But in verse 55 he said, Salvation is far from the wicked. Why? For they do not seek your statutes. They will not be saved because they are away from your word. But I am obedient to your word. So the psalmist understood that the wicked would not be saved. He understood that their wickedness was rooted in their refusal to seek God through his word. They do not seek your statutes. That is the wickedness. They are refusing to seek God. If the believer, by his humility and obedience, enjoys fellowship with God, the wicked on the other side, by their pride and their disobedience and their rejection of God's commandment, deprive themselves of the enjoyment of that fellowship and from the spiritual fruit in this life. As St. Paul said, now the works of the flesh are evident, which are adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lewdness, idolatry, sorcery, hatred, contention, jealousies, outbursts of wrath, selfish ambition, dissensions, heresies, envy, murders, drunkenness, valories, and the like, of which I tell you beforehand, those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. Salvation is far from the weak. It cannot be otherwise when as God is neither in their heads nor in their hearts. When God is not in their mind nor in their hearts, they will not be saved. When the wicked do not seek your statues, then there is no salvation for them. The wicked are far from salvation because they don't seek God. Verse 156. Great are your tender mercies, O Lord. His tender mercies are great. So the salvation is far from the wicked because they refuse to enjoy the tender mercies of God, although they are great. For everyone, revive me according to your judgment. Although the wicked are far from salvation and far from God's word, but the tender mercies of God are close to all and to everyone who will seek God. Though the salvation of God is far from the wicked, but God is not far from anyone who seeks him because of his tender mercies. Tender mercies means what? The mercies of God are tender, full of compassion. And the mercies of God are great. There are many fountains that can never be exhausted. God is rich in mercy to all those who call upon him. And he said, revive me according to judgment. This is the same thought repeated from verse 154. So the psalmist is emphasizing in the two verses, 154 and in 156. He is emphasizing that God's word is both a source and a measure for revival. If you want to be revived, seek the word of God. By this, a psalmist indirectly rebukes the wicked because they are far from the word of God and presenting his own experiences 
of receiving the tender mercies of God, which granted him life because he is seeking God and his word. St. Augustine says, Revive me according to your judgment, for I know that your judgment will not be upon me without your mercy. Again, the judgment of God is full of mercy, and the mercy of God is full of righteousness. Verse 157, Many are my persecutors and my enemies, yet I do not turn from your testimonies. In spite of many are attacking him, but I will never turn away from your testimonies. So the thought here turns on the number of his enemies and on the effect which the number might have in turning one from the way of truth. Many people, when they go through many afflictions and they have many enemies and many persecutors, they stray away from the way of God. Because they were his enemies and they hated him because of his obedience to God, and on that account they persecuted him. But the presence of so many persecutors and enemies did not make the psalmist despair or doubt the love of God for him or turn it away the psalmist from the testimony of God. Many times when we are persecuted we say, where are you God? Where is your love toward us? David did not have the expectation that a godly life was a problem-free life. No. Instead, he was determined to keep turning to and focused on the word of God, even if his persecutors and his enemies are plenty. David, as a king and a public person, had many enemies. In this, he was a type, both of Christ and the church. Type means an example or a symbol. And this has always been the portion and the case of God's people in all ages. Many are the persecutors of the church, and many are the enemies of the church, and the same for Christ. St. Augustine has a beautiful saying here. He said, That's what we realize, know, and remember. The whole earth became red by the blood of the martyrs. Heavens flourish by the crown of the martyrs. The churches are adorned by the memories of the martyrs. The seasons are distinguished by the birthdays of the martyrs. Many healings are realized through the worthiness of martyrs. Verse 158 I see the treacherous and am disgusted because they do not keep your word. The question here, why David was disgusted? What is the reason behind this? The David was not disgusted because he expected godly behavior from ungodly people. St. Paul in 1 Corinthians chapter 5 warned us clearly you should not expect godly behavior from ungodly people. But why he felt disgusted? He felt disgusted and could not endure them because God and his word being dishonored by them because they do not keep your word, they dishonored you. Who are the treacherous, the transgressors of the law of God, the blasphemous sinners? It grieved him when he saw and watched their wicked life and conversation, 
as Lot was tortured every day when he saw the people in Sodom and Gomorrah. And Isaiah and Jeremiah were tortured every day being among people of unclean lips, wicked people. He was grieved, not because they were hurtful to him, but because they dishonored God and served Satan. The word treacherous can also mean traitors or apostates. They are those who pretend they profess God with their lips, but deny him with their deeds, treacherous. Verse 159, consider how I love your precepts. Revive me, O Lord, according to your loving kindness. David is asking God to, to consider. This is the second time he used the word consider. This is a confident appeal of one who was conscious that he was truly attached to God. He tried to live in obedience to God and he loved the law of God. Consider how I love your precepts. God's people ought to have such love for the word of God that they could affirm this without hesitation or doubt. We love the word of God. And the psalmist asked God to look at his love for his word. And then he asked for a revival on, on the basis of God's loving kindness instead of his own merit. He did not tell him, consider how I love your precept, that's why you should revive me. No. He's not asking God to revive him based on his merits because he loved the, law, the word of God. No. He said, consider how I love your precept. But revive me according to what? To your loving kindness, because I'm not worthy. And also I want you to notice, he did not say, consider how I fulfill your precepts. No. David, very conscious to himself that many, many times he came short of fulfilling the word of God. But he said, consider how I love your precepts. In spite of the fact that many times I fall short of keeping the word of God. He loved God's precepts so as to be grieved with those who did not love them like the wicked and the treacherous. And revival is never deserved or earned, but given from God because of his loving kindness. Revive me. In this part, the 20th part, he repeated three times. But he repeated this petition in this psalm so far nine times, the word revive me. But this was not just a vain repetition or empty sound, revive me, revive me. Each time it was renewed with abundant faith, intense feeling of his necessity, and the strength of most eager affection. The comfort of a Christian striving person or militant in this body of sin, our comfort comes from what? From the sincerity of our love to God and to His Word, rather than our absolute perfection in action. No one is absolutely perfect in keeping the commandment of God. But we are sincere, when we are sincere in loving God and in loving His Word. Last verse, verse 160, the entirety 
of your word is truth. All your word is truth. And every one of your righteous judgment endures forever. Eternal. So the psalmist finishes up this section in the same way as he finished section 19. By dwelling upon the firm belief of the truth of the word of God. Your word is truth. The psalmist again declares the infallibility and the infallible character of the word of God. And after examining the divine word and estimating the value of its several parts, the psalmist found that the entirety of the word of God is truth, absolutely true. The entire word is true, not merely portion or individual concept from the word of God, but the scripture are as true in Genesis as in the book of Revelation. And not only it is true, but it is eternally true in every generation, in every century. All God's judgment, decrees, commandments, purposes, promises are righteous, right. And because they are righteous, they are lasting and enduring forever. This actually concludes section 20. Glory be to God forever and ever. Amen.